0: I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 30 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week, we are going to be talking about getting ready to play on the clay with Coach Jeff Puhan. Jeff runs a group of kids down in South Florida. He calls himself a coach, but not an academy because he keeps his numbers very, very small, much like Coach Todd Whittem, who you've heard on this podcast many, many times. And Jeff is offering preparation to any junior player that wants to get ready to play clay courts. Of course, it's a little late for this year since the tournament is underway already, but he also offers similar training for hard court events and grass court events. And so I urge you to check out the show notes to see how to get in touch with Jeff if you are interested in bringing your child down to Florida or to one of the other locations where he trains. That said, I also want to encourage you to go to parentingaces.com. And if you haven't already, please become a member. We've got lots of options for you from free to monthly to annual to a special discounted rate for coaches. So check that out by clicking on the blinking join button on our website And I hope that all of you are continuing to enjoy the podcast, continuing to enjoy all the content on ParentingAces.com. We've got so much new stuff coming from videos to webinars to our panel at the U.S. Open and WTCA conference in New York next month which if you are going to be in the area, and if you are the parent of a female player, I urge you to check that out. All of the information is on our website for that event as well. So for now, I hope you'll sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's podcast with Coach Jeff Puhan. Welcome, Jeff Puhan, to the Parenting Aces podcast. It's your first time with us. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope it's the first of many.
1: Me too. (laughs)
0: Yeah, awesome. So since you're a first-timer here, I would love for you to give our audience a little insight into your life in tennis, your history in tennis.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um,
0: Well, I started a little later than
1: most, even though I played a lot of junior tennis when I was young. Um, I didn't actually really start playing seriously until I was about 14. I was a big baseball player, big baseball family. Um, but I just I was a late bloomer, came on, um, looked for a school on my own. I didn't have any guidance on, on that. Um, wasn't the same, wasn't heavily recruited, but I did find a school. Ended up going to uh, Ferris State University. Um, at that time, they were they were quite good. Division two, they were top five in the country, um, had a great experience there being surrounded by some of the best best players out there. One, our number one player was 90 in the world. Um, rules were different back then, so I got an opportunity to see tennis even at a higher level than I was able to, to play at, which actually pushed me to become a better tennis player in order for me to play there and continue to play there. Um, then after I graduated there, uh, I actually took a job at the Philadelphia Cricket Club and I actually became the head pro at such an early age, t- 21. Um, well, can I interrupt you? That.
0: Can I interrupt you one yeah. second? What was your major in college? Oh,
1: um, I actually was a marketing major and later on I transferred into their tennis management program. Cool. Um, yes which i didn't even know they really had a tennis management program (laughs) um and i just was a marketing major and then transferred into the program because that seemed to be what everybody did back then um in my in my particular class um and had a great experience there actually went on a few internships in the summertime you know spent my summers in in the greenwich connecticut and westchester county new york area at um, a variety of different country clubs, and I thought, wow, this is would be a great job coming out of out of college, and um, and that's when the there was an opening at the Philadelphia Cricket Club, and uh, they brought me in. Fortunately, uh, I actually got that job my last semester, so that's the last semester I really didn't pay attention too much to my grades.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: did they do they actually? Oh, sorry. Do they actually play cricket at the Philadelphia Cricket Club? yes, we do. Wow. Um,
1: it didn't it wasn't being played when I got there. When I got there, it was still pretty old school, you know, all the blue blood Philadelphia families, Campbell soup families, those type of people were all the you know, that, that was our client base. Um, but they were going younger and now it became a family oriented club. And that was really their push to hire me was to create this junior program. They already had a pretty active adult program, um, but they really wanted to create a, a more of a family atmosphere
2: because
1: uh, there are actually three cricket clubs in Philadelphia. Wow. Um, yes. Who knew? And, and <laughs> something, no something that a lot of people, something that a lot of people don't know is that Philadelphia has, the most grass courts um, than any other city in the world. Really? Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, see, I,
0: yeah. I am always learning from my podcast guests. Yeah. That's so interesting. So,
1: um, I mean, it, we had 24 grass courts, the Germantown cricket club had 24 grass courts, and then you had Marion cricket club, which has 24 grass courts. Holy cow. So um, yeah, it, it, it was, an, that's why I originally took that job. I thought, wow, the, the, The opportunity here is is endless. It wasn't going to be like a two or three year job where I moved on to the next country club or club or whatever, because the club was small and you can only do so much. It was like, this is endless. I've got nine hydro courts. I've got 24 grass courts. I've got four hard courts. I've got indoor courts. I'm like, what a great facility to train at (laughs) or play at. For sure. We had every surface. We had every surface.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, and, and so, so you yeah. were charged with developing the junior program there. How yeah. did you know that's how, how to start? Did you have mentors? Um, you know, yes, at, I in did. Your, um, Okay. my, my, uh, my coach,
1: Bob off the power was his name. I grew up in um, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I started to teach and coach when I was, Still in the program, like 16 years old, and I would take the younger kids to their tournaments if they were local. Instead of him going, he would say, "Hey Jeff, you go, you go take them." And I really enjoyed it. It was great. He did. We we had a great little group. Um, We had some of the best players in the country in my little group that I grew up with. I was fortunate. But my coach did a lot of different things with us. He he took us to like say Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania for a weekend in the summer and we would play against a camp out there and he would take us to Hershey park afterwards and go on the tour of the chocolate factory, but we were playing matches against other clubs as trips. So yeah. So I was, I started to emulate all the things that he, that we did when I was a kid and that's how it started. And that's actually how I got the job at Philly cricket was that summer. I I worked there just as like the head summer assistant or whatever the title was at that time. I can't even remember. But the, the current assistant was kind of going through some, some things and she was actually going to end up leaving uh, for some personal reasons. And I started to take over the juniors when I was still in college and I was wasn't even 21. And I organized this trip to Hershey. I said, okay, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see how it goes, what went over. I had 50 kids from the cricket club at that time who were interested in doing this trip. And I had parents help me chaperone. And then that's how after that, after that summer, they were like, wow, this was the first ever trip organized anywhere. And uh, then they wanted to hire me full time. And then things started to go there. And um, I ended up slowly building this program and it became pretty successful. I started a quote unquote teeny tennis program for four and five year olds. And my first time I had 75 kids in that one program In that one program alone. And then from that program came my first national champion. I always say the first day she came onto the court, she was four. I used balloons for them to practice with, to just hit balloons because the ball, the balloon just floats in the air. And so they have all the time. It's colorful, keeps their attention. We were outside and she hit the balloon near the fence. The balloon popped. She ran off the court as fast as she could in tears. I never thought I would, I never thought I would see her again. But the next week she was back. And the next thing you know, by age 11, she won at all you want clay courts, you want hard courts, you want indoors. Uh, and that's when the next level started to click in and I had to f- figure out how do I get these players past a certain level, right? I, mm-hmm. I had to learn somehow from that. Okay, well, how do I how do I? I started to tap into some of my contacts at the time and I started slowly organizing trips to go see um coaches, friends of mine who have developed players, who were on tour with uh, Andre Agassi, with uh, a Pete Sampras, some of these guys. And I would take my kids to them. I would let them work with my kids. And I would take notes. I would say, ah, see, I need to do that differently. That's why that's all these kind of little details. And I did that throughout my career there at at, um, at Philly Cricket. And the next thing you know, I had five juniors out of there in the Philadelphia area that were top 20 in the world in the juniors. Wow. That's yeah. pretty impressive, yeah.
0: Jeff. And I, I mean, it just feeds right into this whole notion that young tennis teaching professionals have got to have mentors. They've got to have people to learn from in order to continue to grow and develop as coaches, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
1: and I've never been, I've always been one to put extra eyes on um, my, all of my players. Um, Even when I, even when I made the move down here to Florida, I still took them to um, see other friends of mine, people I trust, people who, who, were impactful in the tennis industry either as players or as coaches and I'd like to use their eyes and their knowledge um, that's so and I great
0: that, and you and I think you, that
1: is so you, important. Oh, go ahead
0: yeah you didn't have the fear that we hear from so many tennis coaches that your kids were gonna jump ship and and ne- move to another never, coach
1: never never <laughs> and I still don't I still don't now. I don't know if this is the time to talk about that or the down the down the road in this podcast, but that was one of the factors with me wanting to leave the Middle States or Philadelphia area to begin with.
0: Yeah, no, that's um, a good segue. I do. I wanted to okay. ask you, you know, what precipitated the move down to Florida because okay. you, that's where you're based now.
1: That's correct. Well, first off, I was the head pro at the cricket club for 16 years. So it was a long time. I then later transitioned to running the adult program as well. So basically, we had to change the job a little bit, uh, brought in um, Ian Crookenden, who was a top player back in his day, winning national championships at UCLA being a semifinalist at Wimbledon. You know, the playing, with the ro- <laughs> playing with the Rod Lavers and all these guys. So we brought him in. He was the head coach at Wake Forest at that time for fourteen years and he was looking to change and because of his he was fifty five, trying to slow down a little bit. So we brought him in and he kind of became the director and did a lot of the off court stuff to leave me on court with all of the that, the, the ladies the men the juniors everything and it was just a lot and for 16 years I I got burned I was I was toast hmm. you know traveling the world with the juniors at that time who were good plus it was just it was just a it was a big 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 job. And so I decided to just take a handful of kids I had at that time, teach on my own. But then all of a sudden it it exploded and all the, the best kids in the middle states wanted to train with me. And I was just doing the same thing again. So my friend Scott Williams down here, who was at the St. Andrews School, said, Jeff, you need to get away. You need to get out. You need a lifestyle change. So he talked me into coming to Florida to see if I liked it. I ended up liking it and making the move that that fall of 2010, I think, fall of 2010. Yeah, um, and started slow down here with the St. Andrew School, and then had a girl I took under my wing from the St. Andrew School, kind of turned her around, transformed her, and sent her off to Wake Forest on a full ride. And the next thing you know, it went full circle. <laughs> I started a group of eight, nine-year-olds down here, and they became top 20 in the country. And so <laughs> I kind of started my own little group now down here, which has been fantastic. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And,
0: and, and then... And, bring,
1: bring, oh, go, just, ahead. go ahead.
0: No, no, no. no keep then, going.
1: Then I still have such a, a like foothold in the Philadelphia area. So when I, like, players are always coming down to work with me, and I'm always going back there to work with them. So it became kind of a nice, um, you know, a nice kind of north-south connection. Players up there knew me, knew, you know, it was a place for them to come, so they didn't maybe have to go to a bigger, quote-unquote, academy, where they they might not know anybody. They know me. They know what what I'm about, my background, um, and the parents uh, feel safe sending their, their kids down here.
0: I love it. And so the reason that you and I are doing this podcast right now is because you are working with some kids and providing some training to get kids ready for National Clay Courts. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what kinds of things you're offering and why. Okay. Um, well, playing on, the, playing on the
1: clay is uh, a, a tricky, tricky surface uh, for most kids in the country because they just don't have access to it. Um, Midwest, there's not as many clay courts, mostly hard courts indoors, right? Out west in California, very difficult to find clay. Texas, everywhere. Northeast has quite a bit of clay, um, but it's a challenge down here. And knowing that the girls 12, boys 14, boys 16, eighteens are here in South Florida. You got the wind, you got the humidity and you got the clay. Ball's not moving very fast. Players from the North aren't used to being very physical using their legs. They're not used to the footwork, the amount of, right? And then, then we feed into the hydration side, right? Not many people know how to hydrate. You go to the clay courts and oftentimes on the first day, kids from out of town, the ambulances here yeah. constantly taking kids to the hospital, dehydration. They don't properly know how to hydrate, even though they feel like they have, right? Your body's losing that much, but that's, What I'm providing for them, teaching them how to move on the clay, teaching them how to slide in the heat, in the humidity, knowing that, okay, now, guys, we have to hydrate. Where's your your pediolite? Pediolite is going to be one of the best things for you, the amount of potassium and sodium. Where's our sodium chloride tablets? Let's go to the pharmacy and let's get some salt tablets, right? Enters your stomach wall within 20 seconds. Fastest way to get that salt into your bloodstream. Second you feel it, boom, pop it. Because you're losing so much down here. And these players don't realize that. And they don't realize how physical it is. Even a two-set match, tomorrow you're going to be tired, you're going to be sore. Are you hydrating properly? Are you warming up properly? Are you cooling down properly? And that's, that's what and, I'm, that's what I'm providing that.
0: Right. And so I, you know, my experience at Clay Courts is not only are the heat and humidity off the scale. I mean, it's, it's crazy hot and humid there, but couple that with the fact that pretty much every day you get a period of rain and <laughs> a lot of times it happens when you're in the middle of a match. So So you're not only, you know, battling against your opponent, but you're battling the elements and the elements are way different than what most of these kids who don't live in South Florida are used to.
1: That's right. That is right. So
0: how long does a kid need, does a player need to get used to that?
1: Well, you know, as long as they could let themselves out, if they could get here two weeks early. That would be great. But if they got here a week early, five days early, they would give themselves a fighting a fighting chance. If they were already an, you know, uh, an accomplished player, some of the top players might not need as many days because they might be used to playing a few tournaments in Florida. Some of the other players, they, I would recommend them coming at least two weeks early so some of the kids from the north could really get used to it because it's, it's oftentimes, you know, it's more so the recovery the next day that you don't realize how much fluid you've lost and you wake up and you're not sure why you feel a certain way because you feel like, wait, I went to bed early, I slept well. I find it even myself and, and I'm one who's been educated in the nutrition, and hydration, and oftentimes. I have a long day. Sometimes I end up falling asleep early and I wake up and I say, gosh, I didn't have enough, I didn't hydrate enough last night,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and it's it it not only a little that, while and,
0: I mean, it also takes your appetite away and which starts a vicious cycle. Right. So yeah, it's it not sur- just the hydration piece, does. but you know, no. that heat and humidity, I mean, it can make you nauseous if you're not careful and yeah, absolutely. right. So is that one of the learning how to yes, the learning how to eat um, is
1: is also very important. The one thing I kind of recommend the most and we try to do is always, always have things in your bag for you always have your nuts in your bag. So at least you are you are snacking along the way if you're not terribly hungry. Um, And the timing of eating is also tricky, right? Uh, Especially playing the clays. You, You don't know. Sometimes they'll give you an hour and a half. Well, you can't have necessarily a big meal with, which oftentimes these kids do. Mm-hmm. I had a boy last year who, who came down and he decided he was going to have pasta and meatballs between matches. That didn't go so well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. And, so, uh, that, that, that came up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally, huh? Uh, literally. <laughs> Let's talk specifics about what you are doing with these kids who are coming down to train with you to get ready for clay courts. What does the day look like? Okay. The day looks
1: like uh, in the morning, uh, we go about two and a half hours and we do clay court drills. We're going to be moving. We're going to be sliding. So we have to learn to be able to move side to side, sliding into your shot. That you can recover and get ready for the next ball and get again to the other side. Points are going to be long. We're going to have, you're only going to have their 24 seconds between the learning how to engage in those long rallies, knowing that physically you're going to be tired, your legs are going to burn, and you're going to have no lungs. But I've got to get ready for that because if you want to check out, you're going to end up losing the point going for a shot that you shouldn't hit at the wrong time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what our morning is like. Our morning is, is all sort of not, I don't want to say defensive drills. Um, it is moving side to side, and here's your target. Go. Seven minutes. Go. How many How many in a row can you make? 40, 50, 60, 70. Good. Seven minutes is enough. Keep going. And we do that all morning long uh, from the ground strokes, the volley overhead so we're constantly trying to build our our shot tolerance and then we just typically serve to targets and then in the afternoon we play we play sets that put parameters on the sets for for the kids
0: sometimes Sometimes i make them
1: serve uh sometimes i'll make them say okay uh all right on this, this match every first serve you have to serve in volley in this set returns. Yesterday I had a girl out who's who's quite good, one of the top sixteen and unders in the country. I made her stand inside the baseline and she wasn't allowed to go past the baseline to hit a ball. She was playing a weaker girl, but a girl who was big and strong and hit hard. So it wasn't gonna be easy for her as if she just stayed back to rally twenty balls in a row.
2: Mm-hmm. So I
1: wanted her to learn how to learn to take time away from some of these bigger, stronger girls who are going to be just as consistent as she is. Um, But I wanted her to learn how to do that. And I don't care if they win, and I don't care if they lose. You know, it's not about that. It's about can you play under certain parameters? And then that's how you slowly get better as you build confidence. Hey, I can do that. That's what we see in junior tennis, especially at clay courts. Kids won't believe that they could they could stay in a thirty ball rally for a whole set. So they start to check out and say, now that doesn't work for me. I have to do this, whether it's hit a winner off the second ball. That's how we build our confidence.
0: Well, and don't you think some of that has to do with sheer fatigue? Well, yes. Absolutely. Mental and 100%. physical, right? Me- mental and most and
1: if your mind is is good. Your mind can push your body and make your body do anything it wants to do, even if your body is tired. Your mind, if your mind tells your body to do it, it'll do it until it can't go anymore. Um, And that's part of what it is as well. So when we're out there, I will never let the kid not run for the ball. He has to run for the ball and that's that's what that's what it's about and when you get into that tournament you know the the deeper you make your run the harder it is to win points and you're going to play the best point of your life maybe 30 times side to side you might lose the point better be ready to do it again (laughs) hopefully it comes out right and then and you might might lose
2: that point (laughs) yeah yeah
1: you're right just that's just the way it is and if you're prepared for that physically and mentally You're then going to be okay with losing that point, knowing that okay, that kid played a that played a good point. He deserved that. That's right. I got him on this point because he's physically ready for the next point and mentally ready. Um,
0: Okay. So so morning is the quote Spanish type drills where you're just (laughs) running till your legs fall off and. (laughs) going after every ball and, and shot tolerance and rally tolerance. It sounds like, um, yeah, building that strength in the quads, the hamstrings, the glutes to be able to slide, stop, recover, go the other direction, which I, I have had one lesson in my entire life on red clay and five minutes into the lesson, I felt like I was going to throw up. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, anybody who has played on red clay, the green clay is way easier to move on, yes, it, but still yes, so difficult to slide, stop your slide, shift your weight so that you can move the other direction and be ready for the next ball. Right. And exactly. it all happens in and a split second. It all happens. Right. And most most of the
1: players, it's you know, when, when a player says to me, oh, Jeff, the court is slippery. And I say to them, the court's not slippery. The court's not slippery for me. Why, why aren't I slipping? Well, because most of the kids don't use their legs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, was jo- I was joking with a coach, a friend of mine who brought a player over to train with us. And I said, we need to develop a, a, the old school, like a Fred Flintstone car for the kids.
2: <laughs> Did they they have to pedal with I, their I, feet?
1: <laughs> But what did they use to break to stop themselves? Yeah. They use their legs.
2: Yeah. They
1: use their legs, right? So it's like, okay, bend your knees. If you bend your knees when you slide, you will stop. And you will be able to push off without sliding or slipping. That's the trick. I mean you see some of these kids who are sliding around, they're just not used to using their legs from other parts of the country. You play a lot of indoor tennis, these kids aren't going to bend their knees much. They're going to say, well, why should I bend my knees? I don't need to The rally two hits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's how you stop yourself.
0: But they may not, I mean, to be fair, they may not have the quad hamstring and glute strength to stay in That's that true. bent knee position for That's true. A, you're a set, right. you're a absolutely match. Cor- yeah. yeah,
1: you're correct. You're, you're absolutely correct.
0: And, and so when they're coming down to train with you five days before clay courts start, you know, (laughs) it's not a ton of time to get them ready, but are there some things they can do in that five day period other than, you know, put themselves in the line of fire on your tennis court, um, to get their legs stronger and ready to compete for a week?
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I like to do with them, Um, especially when they first come down is I actually really like to take them to the beach because I do a lot of beach fitness for my players personally or players who come in to train for an extended period of time because it's so difficult to move in the sand, much more difficult to move in the sand than it is on the tennis court, whether it's clay court, grass court, red clay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it just gives them an idea of how much they need to bend their knees, right? If they're not, if they're not used to that, how, how much of that athletic stance do they need? And because you need that in the, in the beach and the sand, you can't so move in the sand. What are,
0: what are yeah. some of the specific exercises or drills you're doing with them on the beach? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, okay. Well, so I will place like, say six cones out on the beach like a wide forehand wide backhand a deep forehand deep backhand and a short forehand and short backhand and what i'll do is i have a medicine ball and i'll put them in the middle and i'll just i'll I'll, i don't throw them the medicine ball i hand them the medicine ball and they have to run with the medicine ball if i say wide wide forehand they run to that the wide forehand they load up with the medicine ball then they throw me the medicine ball they recover back they split step in the sand I hand them the ball again and I might say a uh, short backhand and they have to run with the medicine ball now I've got some weight so now you really have to use your legs you run to that short backhand. throw me the medicine ball like you're hitting a backhand recover back split boom hand them and I do that for say a minute long wow minute 30 seconds that's Which sounds
0: like, that. like nothing, but, uh, but I will tell you from experience, <laughs> it, it will be the longest minute of your life. It
1: usually is.
0: <laughs> and they're huffing and puffing, probably about 20 seconds yeah.
1: in. <laughs> they are.
0: They are. Yeah. And some
1: kids really love it and they love it and they want to go more. And others are like, that was the worst 45 minutes of my life. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when I take them as a group, they love it because they're prized. They get to jump in the ocean. Nice. And they just are like, this is great. Yeah. Jump in the ocean. (laughs) And I always say to them, like, look, look at our, this is our gym. Look at the ocean. Yeah. beautiful, right?
0: It's not a terrible place to exercise for sure. So, okay. So you, you have them out on the sand. They do these workouts. When they come back onto the clay court, what do you see from them? as a result of that sand training?
1: Oh, well, their movement is off of the charts, especially the first time. The first time they're on there and they come onto the tennis court, they are doing things they don't normally do right right away. And that is use their legs. Even if it's not as much as they should, it's a noticeable difference to them. And because it's easy it's much easier. I shouldn't say it's easy. Nothing is easy. <laughs> it's much it's much easier for them to do that. And they know what it feels like. And they might only bend their knees for two inches, but it's a big difference from not bending them at all.
0: <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, these poor kids who have never trained on clay or on sand coming down there and <laughs> at the end of the first day, they have to be dying. Um, yes. what kind of recovery protocol do you give them so that they can come back the next day and continue working and, and continue to be productive?
1: Right. right. Well, I mean, I, you know, the first immediate is, you know, that is stretching right away off court.
0: I'm Lisa stone. And you are listening to season eight of parenting aces. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 30 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week, we are going to be talking about getting ready to play on the clay with Coach Jeff Puhan. Jeff runs a group of kids down in South Florida. He calls himself a coach, but not an academy because He keeps his numbers very, very small, much like Coach Todd Whittem, who you've heard on this podcast many, many times. And Jeff is offering preparation to any junior player that wants to get ready to play clay courts. Of course, it's a little late for this year since the tournament is underway already, but he also offers similar training for hard court events and grass court events. And so I urge you to check out the show notes to see how to get in touch with Jeff if you are interested in bringing your child down to Florida or to one of the other locations where he trains. That said, I also want to encourage you to go to parentingaces.com and if you haven't already, please become a member. We've got lots of options for you from free to monthly to annual to a special discounted rate for coaches, so check that out by clicking on the blinking join button on our website. And I hope that all of you are continuing to enjoy the podcast, continuing to enjoy all the content on ParentingAces.com. We've got so much new stuff coming from videos to webinars to our panel at the U.S. Open and WTCA Conference in New York next month which if you are going to be in the area, and if you are the parent of a female player, I urge you to check that out. All of the information is on our website for that event as well. So for now, I hope you'll sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's podcast with Coach Jeff Puhan. Welcome, Jeff Puhan, to the Parenting Aces podcast. It's your first time with us. Glad to have you. Yeah,
1: thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I hope it's the first of many. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. So since you're a first-timer here, I would love for you to give our audience a little insight into your life in tennis, your history in tennis.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, Well, I started a little later than most, even though I played a lot of junior tennis when I was young. Um, I didn't actually really start playing seriously until I was about 14. I was a big baseball player, big baseball family. Um, but I just I was a late bloomer, came on, um, looked for a school on my own. I didn't have any guidance on, on that. Um, wasn't the same, wasn't heavily recruited, but I did find a school. Ended up going to uh, Ferris State University. Um, at that time they were, they were quite good division two, they were top five in the country, um, had a great experience there being surrounded by some of the best, best players out there. One, our number one player was 90 in the world. Um, rules were different back then. So I got an opportunity to see tennis even at a higher level than I was able to to play at, which actually pushed me to become a better tennis player in order for me to play there and continue to play there. Um then after I graduated there uh, I actually took a job at the Philadelphia Cricket Club and I actually became the head pro at such an early age t- 21 um well, Can I interrupt you? That.
0: Can I interrupt you one yeah. second? What was your major in college? Oh, um I actually was a marketing
1: major and later on I transferred into their tennis management program. Cool. Um Yes, which I didn't even know they really had a tennis management program, <laughs> um, and I just was a marketing major and then transferred into the program because that seemed to be what everybody did back then um, in my in my particular class, um, and had a great experience there. Actually, went on a few internships in the summertime, you know, spent my summers in in the Greenwich, Connecticut, and Westchester County, New York area. Um, at um, a variety of different country clubs, and I thought, wow, this is would be a great job coming out of out of college. And um, and that's when the there was an opening at the Philadelphia Cricket Club, and uh, they brought me in. Fortunately, uh, I actually got that job my last semester. So that's the last semester. I really didn't pay attention too much to my grades.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did they do no, no, they I actually? Oh, sorry. Do they actually play cricket at the Philadelphia Cricket Club?
1: yes, we do. Wow. Um, it didn't it wasn't being played when I got there. When I got there, it was still pretty old school, you know, all the blue blood Philadelphia families, Campbell soup families, those type of people were all the you know, that that was our client base. Um, but they were going younger and now it became a family oriented club. And that was really their push to hire me was to create this junior program. They already had a pretty active adult program, um, but they really wanted to create a, a more of a family atmosphere because uh, there are actually three cricket clubs in Philadelphia. Wow. Um, yes. Who knew? And, and <laughs> something, no something that a lot of people, something that a lot of people don't know is that Philadelphia has, the most grass courts um, than any other city in the world. Really? Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, where, see, I,
0: yeah. I am always learning from my podcast guests. Yeah. That's so interesting. So,
1: um, I mean, it, we had 24 grass courts, the Germantown cricket club had 24 grass courts, and then you had Marion cricket club, which has 24 grass courts. Holy cow. So um, yeah, it, it, it was, an, that's why I originally took that job. I thought, wow, the, the, The opportunity here is is endless. It wasn't going to be like a two or three year job where I moved on to the next country club or club or whatever, because the club was small and you can only do so much. It was like, this is endless. I've got nine hydro courts. I've got 24 grass courts. I've got four hard courts. I've got indoor courts. I'm like, what a great facility to train at (laughs) or play at. For sure. We had every surface. We had every surface.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, and, and so, so you were charged with developing the junior program there. How yeah. did you know that's how, how to start? Did you have mentors? Um, you know, yes, at, I in did. Your, um, Okay. my, my, uh, my coach, Bob Power,
1: was his name. I grew up in um, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I started to teach and coach when I was Still in the program, like 16 years old. And I would take the younger kids to their tournaments if they were local. Instead of him going, he would say, hey, Jeff, you go, you go take them. And I really enjoyed it. It was great. He did, we, we had a great little group. Um, we had some of the best players in the country in my little group that I grew up with. I was fortunate. But my coach did a lot of different things with us. He, he took us to, like, say, Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania for a weekend in the summer and we would play against a camp out there and he would take us to Hershey park afterwards and go on the tour of the chocolate factory, but we were playing matches against other clubs as trips. Cool. So yeah. So I was, I started to emulate all the things that he, that we did when I was a kid and that's how it started. And that's actually how I got the job at Philly cricket was that summer. I I worked there just as like the head summer assistant or whatever the title was at that time. I can't even remember. But the, the current assistant was kind of going through some, some things and she was actually going to end up leaving uh, for some personal reasons. And I started to take over the juniors when I was still in college and I was wasn't even 21. And I organized this trip to Hershey. I said, okay, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see how it goes, what went over. I had 50 kids from the cricket club at that time who were interested in doing this trip. And I had parents help me chaperone. And then that's how after that, after that summer, they were like, wow, this was the first ever trip organized anywhere. And uh, then they wanted to hire me full time and then things started to go there. And um, I ended up slowly building this program and it became pretty successful. I started a quote unquote teeny tennis program for four and five year olds. And my first time I had 75 kids wow. in that one program and that one program alone. And then from that program came my first national champion. I always oh. say the first day she came onto the court, She was four. I used balloons for them to practice with, to just hit balloons because the ball, the balloon just floats in the air. And so they have all the time. It's colorful, keeps their attention. We were outside and she hit the balloon near the fence. The balloon popped. She ran off the court as fast as she could in tears. I never thought I would, (laughs) never thought I would see her again. But the next week she was back. And the next thing you know, by age 11, she won at all you want clay courts, you want hard courts, you want indoors. Uh, and that's when the next level started to click in and I had to f- figure out how do I get these players past a certain level, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I had to learn somehow from that. Okay, well, how do I how do I? I started to tap into some of my contacts at the time and I started slowly organizing trips to go see um coaches, friends of mine who have developed players who were on tour with uh, Andre Agassi, with uh, a Pete Sampras, some of these guys. And I would take my kids to them. I would let them work with my kids. And I would take notes. I would say, ah, see, I need to do that differently. That's why that's all these kind of little details. And I did that throughout my career there at at, um, at Philly Cricket. And the next thing you know, I had five juniors out of there in the Philadelphia area that were top
0: 20 in the world in the juniors. Wow. That's yeah. pretty impressive, yeah. Jeff. And I, I mean, it just feeds right into this whole notion that young tennis teaching professionals have got to have mentors. They've got to have people to learn from in order to continue to grow and develop as coaches, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I've never been, I've
1: always been one to put extra eyes on um, my, all of my players. Um, Even when I, even when I made the move down here to Florida, I still took them to um, see other friends of mine, people I trust people who, who, were impactful in the tennis industry either as players or as coaches, and I like to use their eyes
0: and their knowledge. That's um, so I great. Think that, and you, and I think you, that is so you, important. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you didn't have the fear that we hear from so many tennis coaches that your kids were going to jump ship and and ne- move to another never, coach. Never,
1: never. <laughs>
0: and I still don't.
1: I still don't now. I don't know if this is the time to talk about that or that down the down the road in this podcast, but that was one of the factors with me wanting to leave the middle states or Philadelphia area
2: to begin
0: with. Yeah, no, let's that's, that's um, a good segue. I do. I wanted to okay. ask you, you know what precipitated the move down to Florida because okay. you, that's where you're based now.
1: That's correct. Well, first off, I was the head pro at the cricket club for 16 years. So it was a long time. I then later transitioned to running the adult program as well. So basically, we had to change the job a little bit, uh, brought in um, Ian Crookenden, who was a top player back in his day, winning national championships at UCLA being a semi-finalist at Wimbledon, you know, the playing, with the ro- <laughs> playing with the Rod Lavers and all these guys. So we brought him in. He was the head coach at Wake Forest at that time for 14 years, and he was looking to change and because of his, he was 55, trying to slow down a little bit. So we brought him in, and he kind of became the director and did a lot of the off-court stuff to leave me on court with all of the – The the ladies, the men, the juniors, everything, and it was just a lot. And for 16 years, I I got burned. I was I was toast. Hmm. You know, traveling the world with the juniors at that time, who were good. Plus, it was just it was just a it was a big 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 job. And so I decided to just take a handful of kids I had at that time, teach on my own. But then all of a sudden it it exploded and all the, the best kids in the middle states wanted to train with me. And I was just doing the same thing again. So my friend Scott Williams down here, who was at the St. Andrews School, said, Jeff, you need to get away. You need to get out. You need a lifestyle change. So he talked me into coming to Florida to see if I liked it. I ended up liking it and making the move that that fall of 2010, I think, fall of 2010. Yeah, um, and started slow down here with the St. Andrew School, and then had a girl I took under my wing from the St. Andrew School, kind of turned her around, transformed her, and sent her off to Wake Forest on a full ride. And the next thing you know, it went full circle. <laughs> I started a group of eight, nine-year-olds down here, and they became top 20 in the country. And so <laughs> I kind of started my own little group now down here, which has been fantastic.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and, and then... And,
1: bring, bring, oh, go, just, ahead. go ahead.
0: No, no, no. no keep then, going.
1: Then I still have such a, a like foothold in the Philadelphia area. So when I, like, players are always coming down to work with me. And I'm always going back there to work with them. So it became kind of a nice, um, you know, a nice kind of north-south connection. Players up there knew me, knew, you know, it was a place for them to come. So they didn't maybe have to go to a bigger, quote-unquote, academy where they they might not know anybody. They know me. They know what what I'm about, my background, Um, and the parents uh, feel safe sending their, their kids down here.
0: I love it. And so the reason that you and I are doing this podcast right now is because you are working with some kids and providing some training to get kids ready for National Clay Courts. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what kinds of things you're offering and why?
1: Okay. Um, well, playing on, the, playing on the clay is uh, a, a tricky, tricky surface uh, for most kids in the country because they just don't have access to it. Um, Midwest, there's not as many clay courts, mostly hard courts indoors, right? Out west in California, very difficult to find clay. Texas, everywhere. Northeast has quite a bit of clay, um, but it's a challenge down here. And knowing that the girls 12s, boys 14s, boys 16s, 18s are here in South Florida. You got the wind, you got the humidity, and you got the clay. Ball's not moving very fast. Players from the north aren't used to being very physical using their legs. They're not used to the footwork, the amount of, right? And then, then we feed into the hydration side, right? Not many people know how to hydrate. You go to the clay courts and oftentimes on the first day, kids from out of town, the ambulances here yeah. constantly taking kids to the hospital, dehydration. They don't properly know how to hydrate, even though they feel like they have, right? Your body's losing that much, but that's, What I'm providing for them, teaching them how to move on the clay, teaching them how to slide in the heat, in the humidity, knowing that, okay, now, guys, we have to hydrate. Where's your your pediolite? Pediolite is going to be one of the best things for you, the amount of potassium and sodium. Where's our sodium chloride tablets? Let's go to the pharmacy and let's get some salt tablets, right? Enters your stomach wall within 20 seconds. Fastest way to get that salt into your bloodstream. Second you feel it, boom, pop it, because you're losing so much down here. And these players don't realize that. And they don't realize how physical it is. Even a two-set match, tomorrow you're going to be tired, you're going to be sore. Are you hydrating properly? Are you warming up properly? Are you cooling down properly? And that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm providing that.
0: Right. And so I, you know, my experience at clay courts is not only are the heat and humidity off the scale. I mean, it's, it's crazy hot and humid there, but couple that with the fact that pretty much every day you get a period of rain and (laughs) a lot of times it happens when you're in the middle of a match. So So you're not only, you know, battling against your opponent, but you're battling the elements and the elements are way different than what most of these kids who don't live in South Florida are used to.
1: That's right. That is right.
0: So how long does a kid need, does a player need to get used to that?
1: Well, you know, as long as they could let themselves, out, if they could get here two weeks early. That would be great. But if they got here a week early, five days early, they would give themselves a fighting a fighting chance. If they were already an you know uh, an accomplished player, some of the top players might not need as many days because they might be used to playing a few tournaments in Florida. Some of the other players, they I would recommend them coming at least two weeks early. So some of the kids from the north could really get used to it because it's it's oftentimes you know it's more so the recovery the next day that you don't realize how much fluid you've lost and you wake up and you're not sure why you feel a certain way because you feel like wait I went to bed early I slept well I find it even myself and and I'm one who's been educated in the nutrition and hydration and oftentimes. I have a long day. Sometimes I end up falling asleep early and I wake up and I say, gosh, I didn't have enough, I didn't hydrate enough last night, mm-hmm. you know,
0: and, and it's it it not only a little that, while. And, I mean, it also takes your appetite away and which starts a vicious cycle, right? So yeah, it's it not does, just the hydration piece, does. but you know, no. that heat and humidity, I mean, it can make you nauseous if you're not careful and yeah, absolutely. right. So the is learning, that one of the learning
1: how to yes, the learning how to eat um, is, is also very important. The one thing I kind of recommend the most and we try to do is always, always have things in your bag for you always have your nuts in your bag. So at least you are you are snacking along the way if you're not terribly hungry. Um, and the, the timing of eating is also tricky, right? Uh, especially playing the clays. You, you don't know. Sometimes they'll give you an hour and a half. Well, you can't have necessarily a big meal with which oftentimes these kids do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a boy last year who who came down and he decided he was going to have pasta and meatballs between matches. That didn't go so well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. And, so uh, that 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 came up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally, huh? Uh, literally. <laughs> Let's talk specifics about what you are doing with these kids who are coming down to train with you to get ready for clay courts. What does the day look like? Okay.
1: The day looks like uh, in the morning, uh, we go about two and a half hours and we do clay court drills. We're going to be moving. We're going to be sliding. So we have to learn to be able to move side to side, sliding into your shot. You can recover and get ready for the next ball and get again to the other side. Points are going to be long. We're going to have you're only going to have their 24 seconds between the learning how to engage in those long rallies, knowing that physically you're going to be tired, your legs are going to burn, and you're going to have no lungs. But I've got to get ready for that because if you want to check out, you're going to end up losing the point. Going for a shot that you shouldn't hit at the wrong time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what our morning is like. Our morning is, is all sort of not, I don't want to say defensive drills. Um, it is moving side to side, and here's your target go. Seven minutes, go. How many How many in a row can you make? 40, 50, 60, 70. Good. Seven minutes is enough. Keep going. And we do that all morning long uh, from the ground strokes. To the volley overhead so we're constantly trying to build our our shot tolerance and then we just typically serve to targets and then in the afternoon we play we play sets that put parameters on the sets for for the kids sometimes. sometimes i make them serve uh sometimes i'll make them say okay uh all right on this, in this match every first serve you have to serve in volley in this set returns. Yesterday, I had a girl out who's who's quite good, one of the top 16 and unders in the country. I made her stand inside the baseline and she wasn't allowed to go past the baseline to hit a ball. She was playing a weaker girl, but a girl who was big and strong and hit hard. So It wasn't going to be easy for her as if she just stayed back to rally 20 balls in a row.
2: Mm-hmm. So I
1: wanted her to learn how to learn to take time away from some of these bigger, stronger girls who are going to be just as consistent as she is. Um, But I wanted her to learn how to do that. And I don't care if they win, and I don't care if they lose. You know, it's not about that. It's about can you play under certain parameters? And then that's how you slowly get better as you build confidence. Hey, I can do that. Because that's what we see in junior tennis, especially at clay courts kids won't believe that they could, they could stay in a 30 ball rally for a whole set. So they start to check out and say, Now that doesn't work for me. I have to do this, whether it's hit a winner off the second ball. That's how we build our confidence.
0: Well, and don't you think some of that has to do with sheer fatigue? Well, yes, absolutely. Mental and 100%. physical, right?
1: Mental and most and if your mind is, is good, your mind can push your body and make your body do anything it wants to do, even if your body is tired. Your mind, if your mind tells your body to do it, it'll do it until it can't go anymore. Um, and that's part of what it is as well. So when we're out there, I will never let the kid not run for the ball. He has to run for the ball and that's that's what that's what it's about and when you get into that tournament you know the the deeper you make your run the harder it is to win points and you're going to play the best point of your life maybe 30 times side to side you might lose the point better be ready to do it again (laughs) hopefully it comes out right and then and you might might lose that point (laughs) yeah yeah you're right just that's just the way it is and if you're prepared for that physically and mentally you're then going to be okay with losing that point knowing that okay that kid played a that played a good point he deserved that that's all right i got him on this point because he's physically ready for the next point and mentally ready
2: um
0: okay so so morning is the quote spanish type drills where you're just <laughs> running till your legs fall off and going after every ball and, and shot tolerance and rally tolerance. It sounds like, um, yeah, building that strength in the quads, the hamstrings, the glutes to be able to slide, stop, recover, go the other direction, which I, I have had one lesson in my entire life on red clay and five minutes into the lesson, I felt like I was going to throw up. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, anybody who has played on red clay, the green clay is way easier to move on, yes, it, but still yes, so difficult to slide, stop your slide, shift your weight so that you can move the other direction and be ready for the next ball.
1: Right. And exactly. it all happens in and a
0: split second.
1: It all happens. Right. And most most of the players, it's you know, when, when a player says to me, oh, Jeff, the court is slippery. And I say to them, the court's not slippery. The court's not slippery for me. Why, why aren't I slipping? Well, because most of the kids don't use their legs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, was jo- I was joking with a coach, a friend of mine who brought a player over to train with us. And I said, we need to develop uh, the old school, like a Fred Flintstone car
0: for the kids. <laughs> they they to pedal with their I, feet? <laughs>
1: But what did they use to break, to stop themselves? Yep. They used their legs. Yeah, They used their legs, right? So it's like, okay, bend your knees. If you bend your knees when you slide, you will stop. And you will be able to push off without sliding or slipping. That's the trick. I mean, you see some of these kids who are sliding around, they're just not used to using their legs. From other parts of the country, you play a lot of indoor tennis. These kids aren't going to bend their knees much. They're going to say, well, why should I bend my knees? I don't need to the rally to hit.
0: That's
1: how you stop yourself.
0: But they may not. I mean, to be fair, they may not have the quad hamstring and glute strength to stay in that bent knee position for That's true. You're a a match. Yeah, Yeah.
1: you're correct. You're you're absolutely correct.
0: And, and so when they're coming down to train with you five days before clay courts start, you know, (laughs) it's not a ton of time to get them ready, but are there some things they can do in that five day period other than, you know, put themselves in the line of fire on your tennis court, um, to get their legs stronger and ready to compete for a week?
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I like to do with them, Um, especially when they first come down is I actually really like to take them to the beach because I do a lot of beach fitness for my players personally or players who come in to train for an extended period of time because it's so difficult to move in the sand, much more difficult to move in the sand than it is on the tennis court, whether it's clay court, grass court, red clay, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it just gives them an idea of how much they need to bend their knees, right? If they're not, if they're not used to that, how how much of that athletic stance do they need? And because you need that in the, in the beach and the sand, you can't move in the sand. What are,
0: what are some of the specific exercises or drills you're doing with them on the beach?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, so I
0: will place
1: like, say six cones out on the beach like a wide forehand wide backhand a deep forehand deep backhand and a short forehand and short backhand and what i'll do is i have a medicine ball and i'll put them in the middle and i'll just i'll I'll, i don't throw them the medicine ball i hand them the medicine ball and they have to run with the medicine ball if i say wide wide forehand they run to that the wide forehand they load up with the medicine ball then they throw me the medicine ball they recover back they split step in the sand I hand them the ball again and I might say a uh, short backhand and they have to run with the medicine ball now I've got some weight so now you really have to use your legs you run to that short backhand. throw me the medicine ball like you're hitting a backhand recover back split boom hand them and I do that for say a minute long wow a minute 30 seconds that's Which sounds like, that.
0: like nothing, but, uh, but it, I will tell you from experience, <laughs> it, it will be the longest minute of your life.
1: It usually is.
0: <laughs> and they're huffing and puffing, probably about 20 are, seconds yeah.
1: in. <laughs> they are. They are. Yeah. And some kids really love it and they love it and they want to go more. And others are like, that was the worst 45 minutes of my life. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day when I take them as a group, they love it because they're prized, they get to jump in the ocean. Nice. And they just are like, this is great. Can't yeah. wait to jump in the ocean. <laughs> and I always say to them like look, look at our this is our
0: gym. look at the ocean. Yeah, it's beautiful, right?
1: It's Go not a terrible place now. to
0: exercise for sure. So okay, so you you have them out on the sand they do these workouts. When they come back onto the clay court, what do you see from them? as a result of that sand training?
1: Oh, well, their movement is off of the charts, especially the first time. The first time they're on there and they come onto the tennis court, they are doing things they don't normally do right right away. And that is use their legs. Even if it's not as much as they should, it's a noticeable difference to them. And because it's easy it's much easier. I shouldn't say it's easy. Nothing is easy. <laughs> it's much it's much easier for them to do that. And they know what it feels like. And they might only bend their knees for two inches, but it's a big difference from not bending them at all.
0: <laughs> and And I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, these poor kids who have never trained on clay or on sand coming down there and <laughs> at the end of the first day they have to be dying um yes. what kind of recovery protocol do you give them so that they can come back the next day and continue working and, and continue to be productive right
1: right well i mean uh, you know the first immediate is yeah, that is stretching right away off court as soon as soon as we're done with our session you've got to get that good 30 40 minute stretch in and it's stretching every part of your body from your spine to your ankles to the bottoms of your feet your arms your legs etc and then it's take ice baths get in that ice bath so that inflammation of your muscles can come down and then make sure that you're consuming enough protein so that your damaged muscles can recover And the more aggressive you are with all of that, the quicker you come back to recover. And I know the kids who have done it. And I know the kids who maybe did half of it Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: they just don't look, they just not recovering the same. And then I explained to them, listen, that's what's going to happen in this tournament. I don't care whether we're talking about Wimbledon that's going on right now. Nadal and Federer, the, are playing none of them are are fresh as daisies right now they're they're both sore right they're both sore um i think one of the best things that uh, any of the any of these kids for as far as recovery goes should remember they might not remember it but hopefully after this podcast maybe they'll look it up really quick is that interview with djokovic when he was playing fukovic um at the u.s open and they had the heat advisory and it was the first time i think they gave him a 10-minute break between third and fourth sets
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then jokovic ended up winning the match and that commentator was like okay uh so novak what did you do um during your your 10 minute break and he laughed he said do you really want to know <laughs> and the commentator said yeah i really want to know what did you do he said I, and he's laughing again are you sure you really want to know and he said "Yeah." I said, uh, well, my opponent, Martin, and I were sitting next to each other naked in an ice bath. <laughs> and, of course, the crowd is laughing and everyone's laughing. But that's what they needed at that particular moment in time. They probably needed to cool down their core temperature. Plus, uh, you know, their muscles were probably not feeling so good at that time with that heat
0: right and and i no, mean please. normally you would tell somebody mm. don't do that in the middle of a match because then you risk tearing muscle when you come back out but when the that, heat that, level such as it was in new york last summer um and yeah when, you know when it's like it is down in in south florida during clay courts your body warms right back up very very quickly oh
1: very quickly,
0: yeah, and they're not in
1: that ice bath for that ten minutes. Um, you know that they have that little little break, but um, you know I'm sure their bodies needed it, and we're very thankful for it.
0: Sure, <laughs> for sure. Okay, so so you've got these kids working their tails off in the morning doing drills, in the afternoon playing sets. Um, you've got them on the sand doing fitness work and and movement work. Uh, you're guiding them on recovery protocol, and let's say ideally you've got a kid that came down two weeks before Clay, so you've got a lot of time to get this this player ready to compete.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Once the tournament starts, what is your role, and you know what what kind of direction have you given the player? prior to match number one on day number
2: one. Okay.
1: Well, we make a, we make a list. Um, We make a list for them of what it is um, that they want to do. I will come up with a pre-match ritual, what I'd like for them to do pre-match. I write a few notes down for them, whatever it is, this particular boy here, I'm actually going to read this match, what I have for him. Um, this particular boy is, is one of the top 16 and unders in the country. Um, was a finalist at winters and you know I've, has a chance to win this tournament as well. And so he wants to eventually be a pro. So that's my number one goal for him in this tournament is to take a professional approach to this match, to every match, but the tournament. For his pre-match, it's getting himself what he needs he makes sure that he has all his wristbands make sure he has his grips for his racket because he likes to re-grip them during during the match and and change his wristbands because you have to manage if once your wristbands get wet and you start sweating through i don't care you can put as fresh a grip on as you want it's just going to be wet because the sweat's going to be dripping through there making sure he does his footwork ladder agility before right before his match is being called um, and the one concept that I, I started to come up with last year is this breathing and believing. So before you go on the match, sit there and breathe a little bit and visualize, but breathe and believe. And then that's the concept I have for him as well, between points.
0: So is that kind of like a, a mantra for them to use yes. uh, prior yes. to breathe. competition and then during
1: Prior to, as because as they're seeing themselves hitting their shots, hitting their serves, landing to where they want, hitting the volley where they want, hitting their backhand down the line where they want, depending upon what their patterns of play are. Um, and I, I that mantra is has worked for most players. Best players in the world are using that mantra, and you don't very few times are they not believing. It happens. We're human. That element's going to come in. But, um, but breathing and believing the breathing will calm you down from any emotion, whether it's high or low. And then just believing your mind, as long as your mind is telling you something that you can do and you believe and you can do it, then you will do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge piece of the puzzle, isn't it? And I, you know, we just did a, a webinar for our premium members, uh, with David Samuel and um, Marius Barnard. And and those two guys talked a lot about the between point rituals, the side change rituals, um, you know, getting your mind right, keeping your emotions in check. And, and you know, we talked for, for a full hour about that stuff. It is oh, it's could, a crucial piece of the puzzle.
1: A crucial, crucial piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, And I was very fortunate that two of my old students um, from back in Philadelphia, their dad was a psychologist. Okay, So he helped educate me a lot on the mind and different things to do with the mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was very, very fortunate there. So I can add it into their piece. Right. Yeah. So okay. So let's then, get
0: back to your player's instructions. Yeah, Sorry, okay. I got you off track. So in, in, in this match um, or this tournament,
1: um, I have for this this particular um, boy to make sure that he really plans his serving combinations. He has two particular combinations that are the most successful for him, and it doesn't matter that your opponent knows it's coming when he executes it. There's no there's no countering of it for his opponent. Um, And when he doesn't execute it, just like anybody, when you don't execute it, of course, it's not going to work. But I have his his two specific serving patterns written down that I want him to make sure that he's using at least 85 percent of the time, the other 15 percent you can mix in.
0: OK, let me let me um, stop you there again, because I have a question regarding that. So okay. are these particular serving patterns, things that he identified or that you identified or that another coach helped identify?
2: Uh, uh,
1: you know, I first identified it for him. Then he slowly identified it himself. Which is good because um, <laughs> I, he oftentimes, I started working with this particular player last June in Philadelphia area. And he ended up moving down to Florida when I came down because he was homeschooled. So it worked out great. But he was always quick to change. And he had to see it himself that when he does it, it actually works. And when he doesn't, if he tries, say, his kick serve wide on the ad side, he has an, a massive kick serve. It could hit the side fence on one bounce. So the player's totally off the court. So when he executes that, his opponent has no answer for it. They can get the ball back, but he has the whole court wide open. So when he doesn't execute it, if he loses the point and his player rips opponent rips the return oftentimes he would change he would see it doesn't work but he's not identifying the actual pattern he's basing it on the result and not knowing why he, it didn't work
0: so you but helped him he you so help him see
1: it. it and now he and now he sees it
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: great cuz he had to see it himself before otherwise he would always he would change any anybody would change
0: Right. Well, you know, teenage and, boys can be a little stubborn. And it's teenage boys
1: or teenage girls. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And, True. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> True. pretty common on the junior level. You know, when they lose a point, they say, see, that doesn't work. And they don't identify, well, why didn't it work?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I must have done something different. But um,
0: Okay. So, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, and, we've yeah. got these so anyway, these serve serve patterns that you want him to employ in his match. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. His his between point pattern. His he has a you know, a specific uh routine uh, that he uses. Um he, he's made up himself. I, I let the kids make up their own routine, whatever routine you want, but it has to be the same and it has to be a constructive
2: routine. <laughs> so um, not you suck.
1: Right? Not not blasting the ball into the fence. Uh, or anything like that, but, uh, you know, their own routine, whether it's going to their towel, whether it's turning around, walking back towards the fence, touching the fence, turning around, walking back, as long as they're recovering, they're breathing, they're believing, they're creating that plan for the next point, whether it's returning, I'm going to hit my return here. So they always have a target, they always have a plan. Um, That's what this particular player is going to be working on. Controlling his emotions, sometimes they get away from him. It affects his performance. Um, and then we have our post, our post match. You know, make sure you're changing your clothes. Every piece of clothing, you better be changing. <laughs> Don't stay in your wet clothes. You're stretching immediately or hydrating. If you feel like you need to take an ice bath, you take an ice bath before your next, before the next day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have for all of my players. Uh, I make, I make a list for them and some of them will follow it. I do the best I can to manage them, but if their parents aren't here, then obviously when they go home, they're on their own. Hopefully they do it.
0: (laughs) What's what's the accountability like? I mean, are you following up with them or do you expect them to report in?
1: Oh, i oftentimes I'll follow up with them. I'll follow up with mom or dad. Um, and some of them will, will tell me, okay, Hey, so, so-and-so didn't do it, Jeff, ask them tomorrow morning. So I'll ask them, <laughs> okay, so how was that? How was that ice bath? And usually I can tell right away whether they actually did it. They're trying to make up it, an excuse or they're trying to fib and tell me that they actually did it and they didn't do it. Right? Right. I usually, and they'll, and then I'll watch them move and they're not moving very well. And I'll say, well, it, that's. That's your consequence your consequence is well you know what? you lost today.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: lost today because you know you're you're playing tired, you're playing like you're sore you're moving like you're sore because you mm-hmm. didn't recover properly. so therefore you're not playing your best tennis and you know I always tell them if you're okay with your consequences, then then I'm okay with it.
0: right so right. so okay how with- do you handle the kid that doesn't do what you tell him? And then they win again anyway. That's got to just stain.
1: Yeah. Well, it does. You know, and it does. And everybody is, you know, different. And there are those, those people out there, certain exceptions, you know, like genetically. Some kids are naturally flexible, uh, right? They, they don't maybe need to hydrate as much as the average person. They might not even need to eat as much as the average person at this age. You know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, all, I, all I continue to do is continue to educate them. So at the point where they actually need to start doing it all the time, not just 50% of the time, they start to do it 100% of the time. That's gotcha. my end goal.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So the last kind of big piece that I want to touch on before I let you tell everybody how to get a hold of you, because I'm sure after (laughs) listening to this, you're going to get inundated (laughs) with emails and phone calls, which is a good thing. Maybe, maybe not. Um, But why is it so difficult for a junior player to get ready for clay courts and i mean these kids play tournaments weekend and week out for some reason clay courts just kind of stands alone as an event that really requires extra preparation
1: yeah i know um i mean it's just it's everything we've kind of touched on um i mean players don't come down to play because they can't handle the heat they can't handle the elements Um, And I don't know if you actually ever get used to that, even living here in Florida uh, and training here in Florida. um, I don't know if you ever truly get used to that. I mean, it is a physically, mentally demanding tournament. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yes, we can get prepared for it. Uh, We can do the right things but it might be 110 heat index one day and you might be f- so fully prepared, you might end up cramping out there because you've lost so much fluids and you've done everything right. And now you have to retire and you can't finish the match or the tournament. It's something that, that's not teachable, uh, those elements. I mean, you can spend time here, but that's what makes this animal so difficult. Because, um, I mean, to-
0: let's be real, we don't really talk about these types of pre-tournament training sessions for national hard courts, for example, or, <laughs> no. you know, a sectional event um, that's on hard courts. I mean, there are other pieces that make those events challenging, to be sure, but... right. right. So in in your mind, it's the combination of the weather, the movement, um, the particular specifics of how to get the body ready to compete in that extreme environment. And maybe the challenge of playing on a surface that's not as comfortable for these kids. You know, they just may not have as much experience playing on it or training on it. Um, But, you know, I think it's so cool that you're offering this opportunity for players to come down and get ready with you. And so let's talk about how, how people can participate. On a
1: quick quick side note, I actually did it for the ITF grass court championships as well. Ah. I took seven, I took seven boys up there and obviously, Uh, You know, the the people, the members, the board, the tennis directors, everybody at the Philadelphia Cricket Club welcomes me back any time that I come up to use the facility. So I we went up there about five days early and we practiced on the grass, another surface that you just can't have time to practice for. And, you know, fortunately, uh, one of the boys I took up happened to get to the finals. So, uh, you know, just having a couple extra days on another surface, same thing for, for clay courts, giving yourself an opportunity, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, so movement on the grass is a whole other animal, right? (laughs) That's a,
1: that's a whole other animal. It's very difficult as well. That's very physical too. (laughs) Boy.
0: Okay. So, so if, Parents are interested in having their child come train with you in preparation for a specific event. How does that work?
1: Well, um, they, my, they can reach me via my email, which is jpuhan at gmail, or my cell phone number. Um, just putting together a website now for some of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm doing. Um, and so they can reach me on my cell phone number, it's 215 205 3725.
0: And I'll have those in the show notes, so those of you okay. listening don't worry. Um, <laughs> they'll be in the show notes on parentingaces.com so you can check those out. And and
1: and they can check out my my Facebook page. Okay. Which is um Hands personalized tennis programs. Great. So and we'll have a link to
0: that it. too then.
1: Okay. That's okay.
0: Great. Cool. And so do you limit the number of kids that you take for these pre-tournament trainings?
1: I do. I, I keep, I keep the numbers small and that way I can personalize it for each player. If, it's, if I get too large, I can't do that.
2: Right. And
1: each of the, each of these parents are going to want me to be with their son or daughter. Not even though I have great coaches with me, um, you know, they're, they want, me to be with their son or daughter. And I understand that right. I keep my numbers small.
0: And how do you charge for this? Is it a by the day thing, by the week thing? By the day, by
1: the, by, by the day, by the session, they can come in the morning. They can come just afternoons. They can come for a week. Um, I, I work with each family on how they would like to do it. Okay. And so Again, if somebody
0: personal. wants to find out how much it costs, then they should reach out to you and explain yeah. what it is they're looking for, how many days, um, you know, and, and you'll work something out with them.
1: That's, that's correct. Okay. I and, mean, I am actually working on a, a short like three or four day trip to like the Michigan area. Um, to kind of train a little bit before Kalamazoo. I, I am working on that with a few of, I know I have like three or four boys already going with me. Okay. And how many more spots so I, do you I, have? I don't, I, don't have I, I don't have the details for that yet. I am, I am talking to a few of my friends in Michigan, in Kalamazoo, basically in Grand Rapids, maybe in that area uh, to see if I could use one of their clubs
0: how many more spots do you have for,
1: for that trip? Um, I actually haven't, um, set a limit
0: on that one yet. Uh, okay. just,
1: just in the works. So anybody who's interested can contact me.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Great yeah. to know. And, Jeff you do work with kids outside of tournament preparation too. So, if,
2: absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, if any of my listeners are interested in taking a trip down to South Florida uh, to have your child work with Jeff, please reach out to him via his cell phone, his email or his Facebook page, all of which are in the show notes at parentingaces.com and please make arrangements to to do that. I think um you know that could be some time very well spent. Hey, well,
1: thank you, Lisa.
0: Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate you sharing your, your pre-tournament prep ideas with us. And, you know, for those of you listening, um, please keep Jeff in mind as your child is getting ready for his or her next tournament. And, uh, you know, It doesn't matter where you're located. If your child is traveling to a tournament and Jeff's going there to run a group, then maybe you can jump on board. That'd be a really cool opportunity. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much again. And uh, hopefully you and I will cross paths someday very soon. We seem to know a lot of people in common, so I'm hoping that will happen.
1: Great. I look forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, sure to check out parentingaces.com.